Grace, mercy, and peace to each one of you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you please bow your head with me? Dear Father, you have promised that wherever your word goes forth, it will not return to you void without accomplishing that for which you sent it forth. And so we call upon that promise this morning and ask you to fulfill it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know about you, but I like a good paradox. It's when the, the whole quantum world of this world of quantum physics I find fascinating because it's, it's full of paradoxes. Paradoxes are defined as, as two things or, or two statements or two contradictions or two things that are opposite, that are both true at the same time. Some paradoxes are just kind of fun. Some are absolutely true and real. For example, our Lord Jesus was both God and man. How can that be? Well, we just accept that by faith, don't we? It's true. Scripture tells us that. And, and then there are those that are just kind of fun. For example, the grain of millet paradox that says, when a single grain of millet, which is a, it is a grain, when a single grain of millet falls, it makes no sound. But when a thousand grains of millets fall, or a thousand grains of millet fall, they do make a sound. And so many somethings, or sorry, I said that wrong, many nothings add up to something. There is in biology the C-value paradox. And the C-value paradox says that the size of an organism's genome is unrelated to the complexity of that organism. And so there are amoeba, a single-celled protozoan, that have more DNA in their single cell than we have in a single one of our cells, even though we are so much more complex. Kind of amazing. There are, there are some frogs out there that have almost a hundred times more DNA in their cells than we have in ours. It's a paradox. The Christian life is a paradox in some ways, isn't it? Not the least of which is because you and I are both saint and sinner at the same time. Simultaneously righteous by the blood of our Lord Jesus and yet sometimes sink to the depths of depravity. And sometimes we can scarcely believe what we just said or what we just did. We are looking in chapel this week at the Beatitudes. Those are those passages found near the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus talks about blessed people, those who are blessed. And in those verses, there is a bit of a paradox. For example, Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And yesterday we heard, blessed are those who mourn. Now, grieving we don't associate with blessing usually, but in the kingdom of God it is. And so our lesson today continues these Beatitudes with Matthew chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And here's what they say. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And it is especially the first one of those that I would like to focus on this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And within this passage that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and and other people who are gathered around, no doubt, there is an implication in this passage. And the implication is this. It is implied that there are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness and that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are lacking it. They're lacking righteousness, right? After all, we don't hunger for something that we've had our fill of. And so the people Jesus is talking about are people who are lacking righteousness. And and yet, I wonder if somebody who has been here the last couple of days might be saying to yourself, now hold on just a minute. I heard earlier earlier this week that these passages are talking about the kingdom of God. And the people who are in God's kingdom are those people who believe in Jesus as their Savior, and they are covered in the righteousness of Christ. So how is it that those people who have his perfect righteousness can be lacking in righteousness? And the answer to that question is the paradox. It is true, absolutely true. You can stake your eternal future on it, that Jesus lived his perfect life on this earth as a substitute for your life, your imperfect life. And he then took that perfect life and he offered it to God as a sacrifice and he did that on Calvary and in doing that he took away every sin that you have ever sinned. Every single one of them. And not only did he take away every sin that you have ever sinned, but also the shame that goes along with those things. The shame that disturbs your peace on a lonely night that has all been taken away by your Lord Jesus. He has removed it so far from you that it does not exist anymore except in one place, and that one place is your memory. It doesn't even exist in God's memory. It's how perfectly he has removed your sin from you. And he says this, he says, in fact, he pleads, believe it. Believe it because it is true. And in believing this, then this righteousness becomes your own personal possession. And so it is true. You are righteous. God has said it. And whatever God says is. Right? But... That is an imputed righteousness. It is a righteousness that is given to me because I don't have any of my own. It is given to me by God. And there is another fact that is just as true in the Christian, and it is stated by the Apostle Paul bluntly when he says this, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. He doesn't speak very highly of himself there, does he? Dwells no good thing. That's what he says about himself. You know what? James says just about the same thing. 
People some, sometimes get the idea that, that the book of James teaches Christian perfection. It does not. Listen to what James says. He says this, we all, includes himself, we all stumble in many ways, he says. So even though we are righteous by imputation, we are not righteous in our thoughts, in our deeds, and in the words we speak. Not as long as we live in this body, we are not, because in this flesh dwells no good thing. Because we have this sinful nature within us that is opposed to God. And so you're asking yourself, well then, all right, uh, so if we have a sinful nature, how can anybody who's, who in which or in whom dwells no good thing, how can that person hunger and thirst for righteousness? The answer to that is this, that at the moment that God created faith in your heart, he did two other things. First off, he created a new man and a new woman. That's what Paul calls it, a new man. Jeremiah calls it a new heart. But he created a new man or woman inside of you that lives alongside the old person. And this new person is created with a new heart after God's heart. This new person wants what God wants and wants to live the way God wants us to live. But then the second thing that God did when you became a Christian is that he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to guide you, and to prompt you to do his will. And the Bible says it this way. It says that he is at work within us to will and to do his good pleasure. Unfortunately, though, now we have two competing people inside of us. Thank God the Holy Spirit is there to help the new person. So the new person would live a completely righteous life. But there's the old person that drags it down. The new person hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And day by day, the Holy Spirit works through his word. And the new person grows but never in this life will the new person grow so much that we are sinless. And so the new person will always hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what? Are we, are we just kind of stuck in this daily battle? Well, temporarily, yes. But there's a promise here, and Jesus says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You will be filled one day with righteousness. So though you hunger and you get angry with yourself for saying things you didn't want to say, for doing things you wish you hadn't done, it will not be that way forever. One day you will look upon the smiling face of your Savior the one who rescued you, and you will hunger no more. Because on that day, you will be perfect. May God grant that for each one of us through faith in Jesus. Amen. Would you please bow your head with me? Dear Father, we know your will well enough. It is written in your word. But we have been unable to fulfill it because of the weakness of our flesh and blood and because our enemy the devil will not leave us in peace 
And so we ask you that you would pour your Holy Spirit into us evermore, that in steadfast faith we may cling to your Son, Jesus Christ, find comfort in his passion and death, believe the forgiveness of sins through him, and then in willing obedience to your will, lead holy lives on earth until by your grace, through a blessed death, we depart this world of sorrow. Grant it through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.